0: Nutrition Reviews, Conversations with the Authors, published by Oxford University Press. This month, I have the pleasure of speaking with Rachel Green from Monash University, who with Heidi Bergmayer, uh, Alexander Chung, and Helen Scuterres, conducted a review on how health, nutrition, and physical activity are presented in international guidelines and standards for children in care that encompasses foster care, kinship care, and residential care. This paper reviewed 52 documents from the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, and the United States about the amount and type of nutrition and physical activity in these guidelines. A few aspects of this paper that I found very important where it's focused on how important it is to consider adverse childhood experiences that occur before the care starts and how these experiences affect the dietary behaviors of children and the lack of specific guidance for these caregivers in terms of how to support healthy eating and the importance of being physically active. I also found the lack of guidance on how to support children with physical disabilities to be an important gap in these guidelines. I'm sure that our conversation will bring a light to what drew these authors to writing this paper and how it will stimulate future research and improve programs for children in care. Rachel, uh, welcome to Nutrition Reviews podcast Conversations with the Authors. And let's just start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you work, and how you got interested in, in uh, looking at nutrition guidelines.
1: Hello. Well, thank you so much for having me Um, as you so kindly introduced me. My name is Rachel Green. Um, So I'm a research fellow um, within the health and social care unit in the School of Public Health and Preventive Medicine at Monash University in Australia. So a little bit about myself, I actually did my undergraduate honours and PhD in the School of Psychology. um, But I always had a really keen interest in nutritional sciences. So I added that as a major to my degree. Um, And I think that's really encouraged me to undertake across disciplinary approach to food and mood uh, and that's likely reflected in the work that we're doing now so um, a bit more about my background my PhD and current work is really focused on the health of young people um, who are living in out-of-home care Um, so for people that might not know that children who have been removed from the care of their biological parents due to often emotional physical sexual abuse or neglect they're a very vulnerable population um, and they typically experience poor are health social educational and financial outcomes as well the health outcome that we've particularly been focused on is obesity uh, and that's really because prior to our work in this area it hadn't really been considered a part of their ill health Um, however we collected data which has shown for the first time in Australia at least um, that young people living in residential care are two and a half times more likely to be overweight Or obese, um, then they're typically developing peers. So it was sort of both this um, discovery around the high prevalence rates of overweight and obesity. Um, We also have done some work which has identified that young people in care are also at high risk of disordered eating. um, That we went on to develop the Healthy Eating Active Living Matters program, which we call Healing Matters. So um, this Healing Matters program is really aims to improve the healthy lifestyle behaviours of young people living in care, Um, and we do that by targeting their carers with professional development resources. So my current role is um, focused on managing the implementation and the scale-up of the Healing Matters Program, uh, which we've predominantly done in Victoria, where I live, but we're now extending it to two other states, um, South Australia and New South Wales as well. Um, So that's my current role. Uh, I also have experience working in residential out-of-home care as well. That's a little bit in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> That's really interesting. So you've been working with um, families or children out of, with, who are getting care, and you work with residential areas. So what stimulated you to look at guidelines? Were you working in places that didn't have guidelines? Or there were people struggling with guidelines? So what what made you do this sort of comprehensive review? Um, in, for these four countries?
1: Well, I guess with our rollout of Healing Matters, we've been evaluating, um, you know, whether upskilling uh, carers, you know, leads to improved health outcomes for young people. Um, and we found, based on our research, that Healing Matters is a necessary program um, and it does improve carers' ability to introduce sort of general health, nutrition, and physical activity information into routine care. Um, and we're at the point of our implementation where uh, now we're really wanting to understand and and, um, to focus on our understanding of unpacking what are the kind of levers that make Healing Matters effective in practice. Um, And we're not just looking at the ground level now, we want to look at the kind of systems level and see um, where we could identify additional, I guess, levers um, that we could tap into to further support the implementation of our program on the ground. So I guess our review, wanting to do this review really stemmed from wanting to understand whether health promotion is embedded into current standards and guidelines that sort of guide practice with a view to um, potentially adapting those guidelines if it didn't exist to further support the implementation of interventions like our program on the ground.
0: So it sounds to me like a lot of the interventions you're talking about are not necessarily about these are the foods you should eat or these are the foods you shouldn't eat. But more about the um, mental health of children and how that, you know, how does that have to be approached by caregivers in order to improve what they eat? Is that sort of what your program's doing?
1: Yeah so our program on the ground so Healing Matters is really helping carers understand I guess the link between healthy lifestyle behaviors and improved physical cognitive social and emotional outcomes. Um, I guess we go beyond just the physical health benefits of food and really help carers understand how food can be used to communicate care um, to create relationships to instill a sense of belonging Um, and we find that you know, based on the pilot that we did of our program that when we just focused on purely the physical health of nutrition and and eating for it, just was it didn't get the same buy-in for carers because the out-of-home care space is a very complex environment. Um, And I guess initially we didn't really take into account, um, you know, the trauma that these young people have, you know, experienced, um, how that impacts their relationship with food and how um, they, you know, food the role that food plays for young people. And so over our, our time, we've we've really tried to um, embed this trauma-informed sort of focus on food, which helps carers understand, obviously, the, the physical health benefits of food and, and how we need the importance of nourishing our bodies. But now we've taken it beyond that to help carers really understand that food can be used as a tool to help young people heal from past trauma um, to, you know, establish relationships to instill a sense of belonging. Um, It's also a tool to help young people develop independent living skills for when they sort of move out of the care system. Um, And so I guess we've, on this journey, really changed our focus on how we just think about food as well um, and reflect that in the program that we've developed.
0: I was gonna ask you something similar to that about how this affects your personal diet. But I'm also now thinking that what you are doing doesn't have to be restricted just to children in care, but these are things that could happen in schools because children have experiences that are traumatic and they may still be with their families, right? And so I could see this approach linking out to lots of different types of children, um, just not in care. I just find that really exciting and uh, a new area that I don't, I'm not sure lots of people have looked at, uh, especially even with the psychologists that I work with, um, they are looking at different issues around diet um, than what you are doing. Um, Definitely. Can, can you tell me what you think um, your work will do as far as uh, changing future guidelines and you know, how they might get produced and maybe who has to be involved with writing these types of guidelines?
1: definitely. So I think um, the guidelines at the moment currently focus, you know, very much on primary health. Um, and that is very important. You know, there's sort of rules, I guess, when children are, are moved into the out of home care system around, um, you know, frequency of seeing doctors, um, you know, they're there's, it's typically sort of mandated that they have to have a health check when they first move into into care and then there's sort of a sequence of care to follow that up, which is, of course, very important. What our review found is that when we talk about healthy eating, um, it's very broad and there's not very detailed guidance in terms of quantifying it or measuring it or even what that means i guess what we found was that it was sort of general advice around provide a healthy diet but we know from our experience that you know even what you consider healthy versus what i consider healthy can be you know very different and so for us although we f- we think it's important that you know, that message is included into standards and guidelines. We just really feel that there's needs to be more tailored and specific advice. And we feel like the current advice, you know, that's generated for, I guess, a general population is too broad for young people in care who, as we've, you know, discussed can have experienced trauma, particularly, you know, food deprivation and neglect um, and things like that, which can lead to a range of eating behaviours that they have now. So what we'd really like to see is the development of specific trauma-informed health promotion guidance for this population, but it could also, I believe, extend to other demographics as well or other settings. It doesn't just have to be for out-of-home care, but I think um, that developing that very specific guidance would really improve the kind of cohesiveness across the care system and provide more meaningful guidance and advice for carers who are on the ground sort of implementing um, this change.
0: Can you give an example of what a trauma-informed guideline might sound like or be like for a facility?
1: I think it would be about nuancing food within this context of um, probably relationships or understanding and unpacking. I know from our research that young people in care often have um, what we term problematic eating behaviours. There's a lot of hoarding, binge eating, they hide food, steal food, contaminate food. And so I think for us, you know, simply having a general advice around provide healthy food, it doesn't take into account the complexity of that young person's relationship with food. Um, So I think a trauma-informed guidance would need to really unpack, I guess, how young people's past histories can influence their current food behaviors um, and give some advice um, not to diagnose those problematic behaviors but how to manage them in that care setting um, you know create feelings of safety for young people so that they don't no longer need you know feel they need to hoard food and how carers can kind of build that consistency so that young people we can hopefully move them from those behaviors which are very protective you know based on their previous experiences um, but build that kind of trust and a relationship that will then hopefully move them to a sort of healthier relationship with food. Uh,
0: that, that puts it into a much better perspective for, from what I was thinking before. Um, so can you tell us what, what you're planning to do next? Um, are you writing uh, more papers? Are you, what type of research are you doing um, beyond the, the interventions that you're doing which seem very um, appropriate and applied? And so it seems like you do lots of applied research, but I'm just curious about um, is this the area you're going to stay in over the next several years and um, maybe you're working on some other projects people would like to know about?
1: Yeah, well, i I probably will stay in this area for a while. I'm very passionate about improving health outcomes for this particular cohort, and I think a lot of that stems from my experience working in residential care. And I can picture, you know, real young people and and what their experience was like, you know, from my perspective at least. And um, you know, so I feel like I'm going to be in this for a while. Um, I don't know that I'd be ready to walk away until I really feel like our work has hopefully made a difference for young people in terms of improving their health outcomes. Um, so our next phase of our research is really focused on embedding our training within the system. So we're working with um, our local government, with um, the organisations that offer out-of-home care to really understand what it takes to implement a program for sustainability and longevity in this system. Um, and it's it's been a journey. It's been a long time in in developing you know going through a pilot um, and now developing our current existing training package and and implementing that Um, and we still have a a way to go in terms of sustainability but I'm really passionate about doing that so our current work is as I said about embedding it for the long-term sustainability um, and now that the program the training itself is sort of being implemented it's about looking at the system more broadly Um, and we have fortunately been funded by the Victorian government here to actually develop health promotion guidelines um, for the out-of-home care sector which is really exciting so and that really came from you know, writing this paper and identifying that gap, um, we sort of use that to, you know, open discussions um, with our local government about the possibility of us creating that um, and sort of meeting that gap. So um, it's really exciting.
0: (laughs) This is great news. I'm always pleased to hear how a publication from Nutrition Reviews actually gets implemented in decision making, no matter if it's Uh, a new type of intervention, a new way to fortify food, or again, changing policies that you are doing. Rachel, thank you so much for spending this time with me. I I really appreciate it. This is a great area of research because um, I know children who are out of uh, home care, there's many of them in the world. Uh, It's it's not exclusive just to Australia. So I believe that the work you're doing is gonna help lots of organizations around the world. So so thank you again for, for being here with me today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It was really lovely to chat with you.
0: Next month, I will be speaking with Laís de Sousa, Rivera Morara, and Denise Mafra from the Fluminense Federal University in Rio de Janeiro. They wrote with their co-authors a narrative review titled Pink Pressure, Beat Root, Beta Vulgaris Rubra, as a possible novel medical therapy for chronic kidney disease. I found this paper to be an exciting read as it is an example of how to review the literature to come up with a plausible hypothesis on how consuming beetroot can support the management of chronic kidney disease. They have extrapolated metabolic studies related to nitrites, betaine, and the microbiota and link them to inflammation, antioxidation, hypertensive responses with studies on cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and along with preclinical studies and two clinical trials on renal disease to propose a role for beetroot on kidney disease. I'm looking forward to hearing how they decided to write this paper and what future research they plan to do in this area. The Nutrition Reviews podcast was produced and edited by Eric Healy at the Western Region Public Health Training Center studio at the University of Arizona, Mel and Enid Zuckerman College of Public Health. Original music was created by Eli Ruiz. Funding for the podcast was provided by the International Life Sciences Institute. To get more updated information on nutrition, go to the journal's website at academic.com dot OUP.com slash reviews and subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next episode is available. I'm Douglas Taran. Thank you for spending some time with us.